you do look like a professional journalist, Brandon. I look more like like Sirius XM drive time radio. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those channels that's only like summer of 1967 to fall yeah. of 1969. Yeah. Yep. Only the sickest jams from those years. Definitely. And only the jams. You are tuned into the Gator. <laughs> we should do a whole episode, whole episode. Of, just as a drive time yeah. thing gator in the slop <laughs> well, there's something disarming about this look though because if someone came to interview me looking like that i would just tell them everything because you know go. what are you gonna do what are we gonna do yeah. anyone with a tie-dye shirt won't hurt me tie-dye in defense of tie-dye is objectively cool it's like a snowflake you know that you cut up and you open it up yeah, and if you'd been wearing just a cut-up paper snowflake, it would be weirdly <laughs> not. It would not be that nice. It would it's be very, terrifying. It would be uncomfortable. Journos, a stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. Stephen, we have a guest today we do. here on Journos. You may know this because... We're having a conversation with her right now. This is a historic moment for journos. I think we're right. Yeah, it's a historic moment. Yep. Returning guest, Valerie Dimitrieva, back second time in a year-ish. A year, uh, uh, yeah. Friend of the show, Valerie, welcome. Definitely friend of the show. Hi, Valerie. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm honored to be your first uh, repeat guest first repeat, on the record. Yeah. <laughs> we are glad to have you come on to talk about everyone's favorite iron man stand-in elon musk oh yeah and what's crazy uncle elon up to uh, he is getting his brain implants uh, they're going prime time fda has recently approved the Neuralink brain implants now available ready for human trials they have been slotted into animals for the past couple of years mm -hmm. and that's been very controversial indeed the hype around Neuralink is not surprisingly connected to Elon. Elon is a pioneer, is a visionary. You know, he got electric cars off the ground. He got rockets off the ground. He hasn't really succeeded with Hyperloop or the drill thing so much. But the other two, he's, he's done pretty good. He's got two big successes. So the thinking is, if he can get these brain implants to work, people mm. will be able to do miraculous things, curing ailments like blindness and paralysis, and also possibly somehow turning us into cyborgs that can, you know, surf the interwebs and and do tweets with our with the, our minds. Yeah, or something. it's definitely a way to sort of usher in the the latter sort of dystopic implications to this is is by sort of dressing it up with all this like very positive things for society, right? Because what are you going to say, you know? You don't want to cure quadriplegia, et cetera. So Valerie, it's so great to have you here. You've obviously been sitting with this topic, just very deep in it uh, in order to produce this article that's coming out on who, what, why. And I think maybe for people who are just sort of only aware of Elon's more successful or popular endeavors, maybe we, we could start by just saying, what the hell is Neuralink? Okay. Neuralink is a company that is developing brain chips. Um, they will implant, this is the thesis, a chip into your mind in order to help quadriplegics uh, regain nerve sensations, etc. Um, that is what they aim to do today. Originally, 
Um, it is thought that Musk founded this company because he's afraid of singularity. And so it was like, if you can't beat them, join them. And I guess you're going to ask me what singularity is because maybe not everybody thinks about this but uh, it's when the robots come uh to supplant humans and make us uh their pets <laughs> and isn't isn't that uh we've touched upon this in the show before isn't doesn't this fear come from uh, you can trace it pretty closely to some sci-fi that he read that specific fear that humans could become the pets of the robots uh yes i believe the book is called the culture um, mm -hmm. let me double check that are you familiar with this yeah, it's. A, I guess there's multiple series. The whistleblower with whom I spoke at the company who was there for several years during their animal testing phase said that that's something he referenced often um, until, you know, they sort of, uh, let's say, virtue washed it and made it focused on helping people with seemingly incurable ailments. You know, blindness is something that they talk about a lot. So the technology can circumvent parts of the spine that make people disabled. But Valor, you've been working on this story, I think now for over a, a year. We first started talking about it way back in, I think, April of last year. You were really interested in the reports that were coming out about all of the harm that was being done to the animals through these test subjects. And it sounded like you know, even above and beyond the kind of normal terrible things that happen uh, to animals in the process of doing scientific research, there was a lot of stuff here that was, it sounds like going really sideways and was very suspect. And in fact, had gotten to a point where the USDA was doing a probe and there were some questions being asked about whether everything was being handled well, whether there was a rush to get this technology available for FDA approval, such that corners were being cut, animals were being unnecessarily hurt. So talk about what first got you into the story and how you started to research it. Sure. I mean, animal testing is beyond looking at a package and seeing that, you know, my makeup isn't tested on a bunny. I don't think about it on a daily basis. This story was interesting because it broke in February 2022, and um, it was thanks to a group called Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine that actually demanded the documentation between UC Davis and Neuralink, where um, Neuralink was running tests on monkeys, almost two dozen, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And every year, about 110 million animals are killed in the normal process of testing. So once you do the test, perform a test on an animal, you actually sacrifice it. It's a term for, you know, sacrificing it, I guess, for the sake of medicine or for the sake of progress. And there are all these protocols around that. Animal Welfare Act basically dictates that you shouldn't allow it to suffer beyond the reason, etc. And the reason this story was so disturbing in my mind <laughs> was, of course, anything Musk does, people... Uh, pay attention to it. But I think it was disturbing because it seemed like people were allowed to perform surgeries, like very lengthy surgeries on animals and, you know, engineers who may or may not really understand the brain as the whistleblower explained to me who treated uh, these monkey brains like pieces of hardware. So the fact that they were allowed to come near an animal, like you imagine it's some sort of very responsible scientist, researcher, like professional neurosurgeon. In this case, it was it sounded like engineers were basically trying to wire um, these monkeys in ways that weren't really uh, safe or normal. And they allowed these animals, uh, once they realized the test 
wasn't going well or the implant wasn't sticking, they allowed the monkey to stay alive uh, longer than you would normally um, allow it to suffer. Uh, one monkey in particular was throwing up, having seizures. Um, it, there were reports that it had um, bacterial meningitis. I should add that... Um, the 110 million animals that are tested on are not just monkeys and like rats. They're also dogs and, and cats and birds, like animals you wouldn't think you would live in a lab. So is that worldwide or just in the U.S.? I believe that's worldwide, but the animals that they acquire come from all over the world. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and the report that first sent you out on this investigation was focused on monkeys, but Neuralink itself has used uh, different animals. They use monkeys, they use pigs, they use sheep. So they're putting this chip in a bunch of different brains in order to test different things. But your again, your focus was on the monkeys. And so, as you've alluded, you ended up finding and talking to a whistleblower. And how did that come about? How did you find that person? Who were they? What can you tell us, Valerie? What can you tell us? Sure. Yeah. The whistleblower is pretty scared of um, not actually of, of Musk or, or maybe even the leadership at Neuralink, but he's scared of the lone wolf um, fanboys, as he calls them, who uh, he describes may have a kind of an imaginary friendship or relationship with Musk, and they would try to do something to defend him. Uh, this guy's on Reddit a lot, and he, he reads the forums, and I guess they they scare him. He, <laughs> you know, he works on necropsies, which are basically animal autopsies to figure out how the chip or the device stuck or didn't stick or you know where the mistakes happen so that's how he came to know a lot of the information about sort of the cruelty aspect because even uh, as far as what he's seen in his normal career you know you can imagine how many animals he's uh, autopsying every day this was beyond um beyond norm. There was a bioglue that was used that wasn't approved by the FDA that apparently really damaged the monkey's brainstem and caused a lot of the disturbing symptoms. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he, he this guy came about from the Physicians Committee for uh, Responsible uh, Medicine. And at first, he was pretty reluctant to, to chat. And then the more we started talking, it seemed like it was almost um, therapeutic for him because he mm. started to kind of go into a I wouldn't call it a confessional because, you know, I'm, not, I'm no priest, but it's, <laughs> he seemed to really, um, he went really deep. Okay. He went really deep into uh, why he even worked there to start with and his commitment to improving health for humans and, and humanity. And like, yes, there is a little bit of this, um, turns out belief in singularity uh, on his part too. He is a science fiction fan. So that may have been one of the reasons he joined um, the team, but ultimately he went back to kind of normal, uh, let's say, research communities or universities and whatnot because he found that you know the dream was dead, and a lot of he and his coworkers were were um, disenchanted and realized that they weren't really helping anyone. <laughs> yeah, it sounded it sounds like from the your piece that th th there was kind of a huge exodus of a lot of the legit scientists working on the project after some of this stuff came to light. I'm curious about, you know, maybe you found this through your research or from the whistleblower like what what are they testing? What are they doing to these animals and what are they finding? What were they trying to do and did they figure anything out? Were they able to actually see any of this stuff working on the animals to any like significant degree? 
that's the part I was interested in. I called the FDA and they weren't able to release anything to me because it would be commercially sensitive information. Uh, but in the video that was released, which was sort of the, the big claim to fame or like the big discovery that they had touted, um, a monkey had learned to play Pong with its mind. However, a handful of researchers in the field told me that that was something they could already do before. Yeah, you went to Neuralink and you said it seemed like it was kind of an abandoned looking place. There was construction equipment around it, fences up, and you say it sort of just looked like nobody was home. Well, it looked very plain on the outside. I don't think it, I, I don't know if it was a professional medical building. It looked like every other sort of average, you know, glassy tech building. But what I noticed was there was a lot of construction around the sides of the building uh, where there was glass where maybe you would actually look in. Uh, it was dormant construction. Now, can I say that they placed that there so nobody could get in? I can't, mm. but that's that's what I found, um, as well as a an irate security guard who wanted to write down my name on a notepad. <laughs> and I said, did they you, already know who I am. <laughs> I mean, when you were there, <laughs> did you get a close look at um, like who was operating the machinery? And you was it an animal? Was it like a hyper-intelligent goat who was perhaps <laughs> operating the machinery in front of the building? Or perhaps yes. was a security guard in irate uh, chinchilla. Rhinoceros with a yeah. clipboard. Yeah. I think these are hat. all cyborg animals that are already working there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a there was a there was a lab behind the security guard for sure. So that's what I could see from the outside. Um actually now that you ask, what was interesting was the people going in and out and they just have a different look. And everyone coming in and out of the building looked like they could have just as easily been uh, Tesla workers. So that tells you something. That was around lunch. And that tells me that it was engineer heavy in terms of the staff. Listen, I've been in the Valley long enough to say things like I've been in the Valley, like a total mm. douchebag. Okay. <laughs> I've, been, I've lived in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley. Okay. Let me rephrase for normal people uh, who don't drink the Kool-Aid. You don't have to feel bad. And, You're yeah. not wearing a tie-dye shirt like some people right. on this okay, call. Okay. Listen. All right. Let's get back to old Sandhill Demicheva and <laughs> then get the focus off of my delightful tie-dye shirt, which I... <laughs> Fully put on forgetting that we were having company, Brandon. Sure, so sure. forgive me. <laughs> I, I love it. I love Thank it. Thank you. Okay, rock, rock on. Hey, right uh, on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But oh, the whistleblower did share that this was a very engineer-led effort that was oftentimes rushed, oftentimes folks who didn't really treat the brain with respect, um, you know, leading the charge or um, forcing the issue or, or becoming impatient with surgeries and again, keeping the animals alive long after um, they should have been put to to sleep or sacrificed. Um, you asked me though, what what's the what's the goal of Neuralink? And I think it's to you know help people with all of these lifelong problems that are really ruining their quality of life, like blindness, quadriplegia, and there are already companies and, and researchers doing that. We looked up several cases where Stanford neurosurgeons uh, had restored someone's ability to communicate. Someone who had been paralyzed from the neck down was able to write using their mind, like on a notepad at the mm -hmm. speed of you typing on your iPhone. So again, we don't really always talk about those cases, right? Because it's not Musk. It doesn't uh, have a lot of bluster to it. But I think also 
it's not just us following, you know, follow the Musk and, you know, see what this crazy billionaire is up to. I think it's also just like, how does someone have the audacity to go into this field where you have to have X number of years of training and to prove yourself and just say, oh, I need to save the world. Um, here's another place I could do it. Let me just take on, you know, it's almost like a Theranos thing where you, you wonder, is this person qualified to to make these decisions? Now, he's not the CEO there, but you know, a lot of, it sounds like a lot of from Reuters reports and from the whistleblower that a lot of decisions are made in order to impress or appease him. And it sounds like that was all, again, a goal to get the technology to a place where the FDA would approve it. And as you said, you talked to the FDA and they were like, uh, we can't tell you anything because it's commercial secrets. But um, according to a Reuters story, as of several weeks ago, the FDA had not inspected Neuralink over its laboratory practices. That's according to FDA records and a Neuralink employee. So all of the stuff that we're hearing about it comes from often people like the whistleblower who are coming out from working in the company and saying, hey, there's things here that are really concerning that suggest either that they're not following practices or that this stuff is not working, right? But, you know, people are kind of forcing those things through in order to hit some artificial deadline or... Or in the case of, uh, as your guy said, uh, to make Papa Musk happy. Yeah, there's like a whole, this whole thing just like reeks of like uh, move fast, break things, right? But the problem is, is that we're talking about brains of sentient animals. And then, you know, where we'll get to in a moment is the fact that what, what these approvals mean is that real human beings are going to now be sort of subject to these potentially sort of reckless environments where they will be the subject of this sort of testing. Maybe what's weird here is that in tech, and you know, there is this sort of grind mentality. There is this sort of idea of like sprint to the finish, you know, making investors happy and all of that. And that's one thing maybe when you're building an app or something. But the fact that it has to do with the brains of animals and people, and then that same sort of lack of either ethics or the uh, focus on profits or making some demigod tech hero proud, that's where this thing gets really creepy, I think. Mm. Yeah. So with the FDA's blessing, Neuralink is now registering patients who have uh, quality of life ailments uh, such as blindness or quadriplegia um, on their site. So it's unclear how many they've registered already. They're very secretive, as we've already established. So it's unclear who's actually going to be up for this. Uh, according to the whistleblower, the problem they had was that they couldn't remove the device. Once it's in there, they couldn't remove it without killing the animal. Hmm. Would that mean that they haven't yet figured out how to remove it without killing the human subject is that is that sort of the extension of that so that that's what that's what he's he's asking because he left roughly two years ago so hmm. it's unclear if that's something that's been figured out um you would think that they would talk about what kinds of procedures you're gonna expect i actually went through the sign up process as far as as oh, far wow. as i could uh, at the end it listed a phone number if you're unable to type i called that number and didn't reach anyone so it's i, I wanted i just wanted to know more like what how can you help me <laughs> what can you do for me <laughs> your call is very important to us please hold the whole music is just the theme song from severance oh, no. yeah <laughs> it's a good song though hey you look creepy um 
I think to go back to something that, Valerie, you said earlier that I think is really significant and worth drilling down on is there is a sense because the media is obsessed with Musk, this, you know, this, this relationship that the media has. They used to love him when he was, again, like Tony Starking around. And then he took Twitter and turned it into a right-wing hellhole, yeah. To a certain degree, there's still a lot of people hanging on there. But that idea that, oh, maybe he's not in line with uh, good liberal values as much made the media sort of turn on him or, or be more critical. But nevertheless, they still report on him. And so consequently, Valerie, as you had said, there's attention paid to him. And the implication is Neuralink is the only game in town, just like mm -hmm. with rockets or cars, like Musk's the only person who's taking on this problem. There's no one else out there that's doing it. But in fact, the field is, it's not entirely crowded, but there are certainly other players, not just institutions, but also private companies that are all working on this idea of the brain implant, which doesn't necessarily make it any less kind of scary sounding, but it also suggests like we should make sure that we don't ignore, you know, these other innovative technologies that are coming online or potentially coming online just because Musk is like, this is going to be the Coca-Cola of uh, brain implants. He didn't mm. say that. That's me editorializing. Uh, maybe it's more <laughs> of a Pepsi. I don't know what it is, but, you know, that idea that, that you know, there are it's other. Red Bull. Yeah, it's red, it is Red Bull. He's the Red Bull for sure. And so, yeah, Valerie, do you know um, kind of some of the other people who are in this and, and what they're working on? There are other companies working on exactly this who've, that have had their technology approved by the FDA before. We didn't blink. Um, but I think, again, like for better or worse, when you're not a Musk-backed uh, company, you kind of slide under the radar with both your innovation and your announcements and maybe even some of the bad stuff. Like I can't exactly say that or just because it's not Musk, that means it's better. But he has done some pretty cool things, you know, sent... Uh, Wi-Fi to, you know, the internet to Ukraine and, you know, forced basically a lot of companies to hurry on electric cars. At least it seems that way to me, right? So sure. is this going to help the field ultimately? I can't quite say. I have He's to play devil's advocate. And now here we are. Um, and so, Valerie, going forward, as people read further stories or listen to further stories, about Musk and Neuralink and other technologies. As you've been thinking about this this research and how you've been looking at it, do you feel like there's a way to think about, you know, the the risk benefit there, the what's being exchanged and whether, you know, at the end of the day, even though there's a lot of negativity around this animal research, you know, if it does yield something good, is that better? Is that worse? Is that, you know, how do you think about that? Like everyone else, once this story hit, I started thinking about animal testing. And let's say Musk is a godsend for any issue, <laughs> good or bad. Like it makes the spotlight uh, drop right onto that issue. So according to researchers at Harvard, some animal testing uh, is not really beneficial to us at all. Uh, there are weird tests we do 
where we just like see if a monkey will be scared if you surprise it from the corner of a cage and what's that going to do to its uh, psyche it seems like these are uh, pretty obvious studies it reminds me of like those most popular articles sent around um, i won't say which publication but it's like sleep is good for you like no duh um sleep is even better for you than we thought right mm-hmm. like monkeys are going to be really scared and terrified if you come and scare them in the cages let's do some research on that so you know there's there are researchers at harvard who said that you Using a organ chip, which is basically the model of a human, uh, yielded the same results in COVID vaccine research as did the animal tests. And that a lot of animal tests do not translate to humans. Like 85% of HIV AIDS vaccines were successful in monkeys and zero of those translated to humans. So a lot of these models aren't that successful. I mean, the last super successful animal research discovery we made was almost 100 years ago, and that was insulin. Insulin? <laughs> insulin is so old school. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you, there is an FDA requirement that you have to go through to have your um, medication or brain chip passed uh, before you're allowed to test on humans. However, it's just, some people say, it's just an outdated requirement. And even people at the FDA, there are several leaders at the FDA who are fighting to uh, remove that requirement so that we no longer have to test on animals. And that's probably going to be my next story. (laughs) Well, and with that, let's wrap up here. Um, Valerie is working on a story. It will be out soon. And we will let the journal's audience know when that is something that you can read, but it'll be very soon. Valerie. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Where can people find you? I'm still on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Have you learned nothing from this conversation? (laughs) They're going to put a chip in your brain against your will. Maybe it'll get me more followers. Uh, At (laughs) VDemicheva. So uh, good luck spelling my last name. You'll never find me. Great. We'll we'll put it in the notes. Uh, thank you, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us once again. You report on just the coolest shit, and uh, we are so happy to have you share what you're up to anytime. So come on back soon. Thank you guys. Thank you, Valerie. Uh, this has been Journos. I'm Brandon R. Reynolds, and I'm Stephen Jackson. We'll see you next I'm time. Second time guest, Valerie Demicheva. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get in there. Get in there. <laughs> All right. Ciao. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.